0: Thank you guys for leading us this morning in worship. Most of you will know, because I told you all last week, it was my birthday yesterday. And it's interesting, the cards you get from people that you thought were your friends. And... So the first one I wanted to, to read out is this one. It says, birthday boy, many men at your age rush out and buy themselves a new set of wheels. Isn't sheer beauty, and inside it's a picture of a Zimmer frame. And that was from Brian and Mary, thank you Mary. And then one here says some people get a little forgetful as they reach sixty. You, ap- <laughs> you apparently forgot to look older. Oh, I'll take that. I'll take that. That's from Elizabeth. Thank you, Elizabeth. And then, she se- and then she sent me another one, which is fifty. I'm not fifty either. And it says you're on the road to a successful birthday. With love, Elizabeth. Hope I've got it right this time. No, you still haven't got it. I'm 46. Okay, I'm not 50. 46, not 50. Anyway, thank you for the cards. As most of you know, my uh, sister-in-law, Karen, has been over from New Zealand last week. In fact, that's where Claire is this morning. She's uh, at the airport, putting her on the flight back to New Zealand. And last Monday, Claire and Karen went for a spa day at Slaley Hall. Other spa experiences are available, but they went up to Slaley Hall, which is uh, down the A69, up the A68, and it's right up there, uh, kind of towards, like beyond Corbridge, up that area. Claire's been there on a number of occasions. So she knows the way there, and, you, and she knows the way back, or so you'd think. But Claire ran up to me late on Monday night that when she was driving at home, her and Karen got so engrossed in uh, chatting together that when she came down the A68 and reached the A69, instead of going right back to Newcastle, she went left towards Carlisle. She went the wrong way on the A69 and turned left instead and went as far as Holt Whistle. And when we when we chatted that night I said, Did you not notice Hexham? <laughs> you know, that, 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 that kind of big town with that massive wood manufacturing company, all the smoke and steam and what have you, and and, and note she hadn't noticed that. I said, Did you not notice when you come to that big roundabout on the A sixty nine ceases to be a dual carriageway and it becomes a single carriageway? No. Hadn't noticed that either. She went all the way to Holt Whistle. But actually, the problem wasn't getting to Holt Whistle. The problem started way back when they turned, when they pulled out of Slaley Hall, because she wasn't focusing on what she was doing. She wasn't paying attention. She was talking to her sister. The problem had started way back at Slaley. It wasn't when she ended up in Holt Whistle, because she simply wasn't paying attention to where she was going. The damage was done right at the beginning of their journey home together. And you know, Jesus teaches in his great sermon called the Sermon on on the Mount, that that the same thing happens with sin in our lives. Sin starts in our hearts. It starts with an idea, starts with a thought or an emotion, or sometimes starts with us not paying enough attention to what's going on. And unless we deal with it in our hearts right at the start, then it can often lead to all sorts of other problems. I'm not equating equating Holt Whistle with adultery, by the way. But... (laughs) You get the point, if we're not paying attention at the start, sin starts in our hearts, and what it ends up leading to is a whole other story, but it starts in our hearts, and that's the issue, and Jesus makes it clear in his Sermon in the Mount that what we end up doing externally, it really does matter, but actually the real problem is not so much, what it, although it is a problem what we end up doing externally, but the real problem is what happens right in our hearts, because that's where sin starts, that's where sin has its origin. And the the Jewish people, especially the Pharisees who were uh, often following Jesus around, they were really devoted to the Jewish law. And they were really good at keeping all the external regulations and rules and making sure that they ticked all those boxes and so on. But the real problem, what Jesus was saying, was what was in their hearts It's not good enough to look good on the outside to say, well, I've never done this, I've never done that, I don't do this, I don't do that, when actually there's still a problem on the inside and we're still sinning in our hearts. It's not good enough to to tick the boxes externally. We need to tick the box right in our heart. And today we're looking at the next section of this great sermon by Jesus called the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be reading from Matthew 5, 27 to 30. And as we read this passage together, it's only a very short passage, remember that Jesus is teaching throughout this sermon, he's telling us how we can join, how we can enter, how we can be part of God's kingdom, and then he's telling us what it looks like to live as part of God's kingdom. And as Stuart pointed out last week, he ends this great sermon with this uh, story, with this picture, this parable of what it means to be a wise person, to build our lives on the teachings of Jesus. That's what a wise person looks like. So bear that in mind as we read these verses. So let's read from Matthew uh, chapter 5, and we're going to read just a few verses, 27 to 30. Last week, we were looking at what the Bible really teaches about murder. This week, Jesus moves on to adultery, and he says this, You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Well, so Jesus begins this section of teaching by saying these words. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. And Jesus here is referring back to the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments which were given by God to Moses around about 1400, 1400 years before Jesus was here on earth teaching. And this commandment that Jesus is referring to is the seventh of the Ten Commandments. And we can read those commandments, we can read this particular commandment in Exodus 20, 20 verse 14 and Deuteronomy 5 18 where it says this, God says you shall not commit adultery. So that's what Jesus is referring to. And adultery is either when a man has sex with a woman who isn't his wife, if he's a married man, or when a man has sex with another man's wife. That's what adultery is. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Now, every Jew knew this commandment. And I suspect that even today, most people, if you went out and talked to people, would say that do not commit adultery is one of the Ten Commandments. I would suspect that most people would have some idea of that in the UK today. And I guess that most people would actually agree with it. They would say, yeah, it's not a great idea, it's generally a bad thing, we don't don't approve of that, we don't agree with that. I think most people today would still agree that adultery is a bad thing. But it's possible for us to say, I've never committed adultery, and I guess that lots of people could honestly say that. And yet, despite never actually physically committing adultery, according to Jesus' own words here, we can be committing adultery in our hearts and in our thoughts. So Jesus says this, you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. See, it's not good enough to just to keep God's commands externally. We need to keep them internally. And if a man desires another woman, then he's already committed adultery with her in his heart, according to Jesus. Now, I don't know that that many men personally who've committed adultery. I know some. But by the definition of adultery that Jesus gives us here in this passage, every man I've ever met has committed adultery. In fact, every man that has ever lived has committed adultery. Except, of course, for Jesus himself because he was sinless and perfect. But every other man, according to Jesus' definition here, has committed adultery. Jesus defines adultery as looking at another woman lustfully. In other words, desiring her. And there isn't a man alive that hasn't done that at some point in their life. And the reality is that sadly most men spend a, great, a good deal of their time looking at other women lustfully and desiring women that are not theirs to desire. Can I just pause for a moment and speak to the ladies here this morning too? And I do so carefully. Beware becoming self-righteous and judgmental towards men. And writing all men offers terrible, useless wastes of space and sinners. Beware. Whilst I can't speak with as much authority about ladies as I can about men, because obviously I'm not a lady, I would doubt that there's ever been a lady that's also not committed adultery in her heart. I understand that ladies aren't driven as much by what they see in the way that men are. Men are wired to be attracted to women by what they see. And by the way, ladies, that doesn't make men bad. That's the way God has wired men. God created men to be driven by what they see. That's the way we're wired by God. It's different to the way ladies are wired, but it's not wrong in and of itself. But many ladies also do look lustfully at men, maybe not as much or in the same way as, women, uh, as men because they're not wired the same way, but they do it nonetheless. And when a woman desires a man who isn't her husband, either because of the way he looks, but more likely perhaps because of the way he treats her, or the way he makes her feel, that is just as much adultery by Jesus' definition. So ladies, please don't look down on men or uh, somehow being worthless and and useless creatures. I hear a lot of that from Christian women, and it's wrong. So whilst Jesus focuses on men in this section, ladies are just as much in the frame. So if you're a lady here this morning, don't think this is all just for the guys. This is for everybody. And if you're not married then this is also for you too, because there are wider implications in this. You may get married, or even if you don't, there are wider implications that Jesus is teaching here. So while Jesus does focus on men in this section, we're all in the frame here this morning. This is just as much for every one of us, even if it may play out differently for you, particularly if you're a lady rather than a man. It's not enough for us to be able to say, I have never committed adultery with another man or another woman. Jesus says that we need to be pure, not just externally, not by being at a ticker box and saying, well, I've never done that. Jesus says that we need to be pure internally as well as externally. So write that on your outline. There's an outline on your seat, all the verses on there. I need to be pure internally and not just externally. I need to be pure internally and not just externally. It's not good enough to be just to be able to say, I'm ex- pure, ex- I've never done that. And this is true for every sin, not just for sexual sin. We need to be pure internally. One of the phrases I hear quite a lot, even from Christians, which really worries me, it goes something like this, it's okay to look just so long as I don't touch. You ever heard that said? Or perhaps you say it yourself. Or it's okay to do a bit of window shopping just as long as I don't go in and buy what's inside. You ever hear that said? Or, or maybe you say that yourself. According to Jesus, that is adultery. According to Jesus, that is adultery. Desiring someone that we're not free to desire, sexually or romantically, or in any other way, is a sin. Now don't get me wrong, it's not sinful to be attracted to somebody. Being attracted to another person, whether sexually or in any other way, isn't sinful. It's part of what it means to be human. To appreciate someone's personality, to enjoy their company, to admire their good looks, to admire their figure. These are all intrinsic parts of positive human relationships. That is normal, that's natural, that's God created. However, a look or thought becomes lustful when it moves from appreciation to a desire for possession or gratification or fulfillment. Even if that's just in the mind. And that's what Jesus condemns here. And Jesus wants us to take this really seriously. So he uses some pretty full-on shocking language. Look at verse 29. He says, If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown in hell." into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, We need to be really clear here. Jesus is not teaching self-mutilation, okay? So don't worry. You don't need to do that. Otherwise, we would all be blind and, and have no hands. He doesn't mean for us to be gouging out bits of our body or cutting off bits of our body that's sin. Jesus is using what we call hyperbole. In other words, it's a form of exaggerated speech to make a point. And the point he's making is this, that we all need to take all sin, and especially sexual sin, incredibly seriously it's not a game it's not funny it's not for messing around it's serious the punishment for unconfessed sin Jesus says here is hell and Jesus is saying look do whatever it takes to stop sinning do whatever it takes not just to be externally pure but internally pure however awkward or difficult or inconvenient that makes life for you take whatever steps it takes to keep yourself pure to not sin on whatever level that sin may be. So write this down. We need to do whatever it takes to stay pure. We need to do whatever it takes to stay pure. This is really serious. It's not fun. It's not a game. This is serious. Unconfessed sin takes us to hell, Jesus says. So we need to do whatever it takes to stay pure. It's not enough to be able to say, I've never committed adultery. We need to be pure in our heart not just externally, and if we're going to do that, we'll sometimes need to take some really extreme measures to make sure that we don't fall into sin, not just fall into actual sin, but sin in our hearts. So what's Jesus saying here? Well, two things. Firstly, we learn that we're all adulterers. Just as last week, we discovered that we're all murderers. We've all harbored hate in our hearts for somebody else, so we're all murderers, we're all adulterers. We've all got a deep problem called sin. We've all got a deep problem in our hearts called sin. None of us can keep God's perfect standard. That The Ten Commandments and the other laws in the Old Testament, they're held up there, they're perfect, they're good, and none of us can keep them because we all fall short of them at one or other point in our life. None of us can keep God's perfect standard. And even if I gouged out both my eyes and chopped my hands off, I can still lust and commit adultery. I don't need eyes to do that. I can still take what's not mine. I don't need hands to do that because I can do it in my head. That's what Jesus is saying. No matter what we do externally, it will never be enough to deal with the problem of our sin. We can cut and cut and cut. We can never cut deep enough to get to the core of the problem, which is in our heart. Not our physical heart, but our our spiritual heart. And Jesus is showing us that we need outside help to deal with the real heart problem that we have, which is our sin. We all need Jesus to solve that problem. We can never cut deep enough to get rid of that sin. We need Jesus to come and do that for us. We need Jesus to forgive our sins, to change us from the inside out. In other words, we need to be born again. And and Jesus says that to Nicodemus, doesn't he, in John 3. He says, if you want to be in God's kingdom, if you want to see God's kingdom, you need to be born again. A, A whole brand new start by asking Jesus to make us into new people, by asking him to forgive us. We all need a heart transplant, not a a physical transplant, but a spiritual heart transplant. A whole new start that only Jesus can bring. We need to be born again. And that means that that we surrender our lives to Jesus. We ask him to forgive us. We ask him to make us new people. We turn away from our sin and we ask him, we put our faith and our trust in what he's done for us. And as we do that, we're born again. The Holy Spirit comes to live within us. We are new people. We're changed. We've got a new heart from the inside out. Life from above, and then because of that, God views us as being holy and and being perfect, just as much as He sees Jesus as being holy and perfect. And that's phenomenal, isn't it? That by trusting in Jesus, we can be transformed, and that God can view us in the same way that He views Jesus. And that means that we're able to live in a relationship with God, even though we will still sin, even though we will still let God down. God, God gives us the righteousness and the perfection of Jesus. That's how he views us if we trust in him. And then when we have that new heart, when we're born again, we can begin to change from the inside out. And then because we've been born again and God has changed us and transformed us from the inside, we then will have the desire and the power to be obedient to Jesus. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. He says, We take every, cap- we take every thought captive, sorry, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. It's about making that choice, as soon as those thoughts pop in our head, to take those thoughts captive and to make our thinking obedient to Jesus. It's kind of like threshold thinking. You know, when you cross over a threshold into a house, the moment we get to that threshold, no, we, we don't do that. We don't cross over. Or like planes that are circling, uh, trying to come into land. We say, no, we're not going to let those thoughts land. It's not wrong to have the thoughts, that the temptations. It's not wrong to be tempted. We will be tempted all day long in different ways. Temptation is not a sin. It's how we handle those sins. Do we take them captive and surrender them to Jesus? Or do we allow them to grow and and we fan the flames of desire within us in whatever way that desire might come, whether it's sexual or not? We need to... Do whatever it takes to make sure that the new identity that we have as being holy and perfect and righteous ones, that that our behavior matches up to that identity. God has said you are holy if you've trusted in Jesus. So be holy. You are holy, so be holy. We need to make sure our behavior is holy. In response to all that God has done for us, in sending Jesus to die for us, we want to do all that we can to please him, don't we? By living pure lives. So we don't need to gouge our eyes out, we don't need to cut our hands off, but we do have to do the equivalent of that, whatever that might be for each of us, in order that we don't commit adultery or whatever other sin it might be in our hearts. One of the biggest challenges to sexual purity is the internet. Internet pornography is a massive issue in many Christians' lives and in many non-Christians' lives. Over 50% of men, over 30% of women in churches like this, And 25% of church leaders admit to regularly looking at pornography on the internet. And if you don't believe those figures, trust me, they are probably on the conservative side. Because as I interact with lots of people in my work as a church leader, I find them to be true. So I don't say that to shock you. That is reality. We need to face up to reality. The internet is a massive issue. So what can we do about this? Well, if you want to stay pure... In our hearts, if we want to protect our marriages, if we're married, if we want to protect other people's marriages, and ultimately and most importantly, if we want to be obedient to Jesus and live pure lives, then we need to take steps to ensure that the internet is neutralized in our lives. How do we do that? Well, a great solution is to use internet accountability software. I have this on my phone, it's on all my computer devices, and it means that in my instance, Keith gets a weekly report of everything I look at on the internet. And that neutralizes immediately for me the temptation of the internet. Knowing, apart from anything else, I don't want to have an awkward conversation with Keith. That neutralizes that temptation for me. I put two websites on your outline. One of them is called Accountable to You. One of them is Covenant Eyes. And personally, I would suggest that every Christian, male, female, installs these on all their devices. Because my question is this. Why would you not do this? If in doubt, put it on. Do it. If in doubt. And, and if you're watching stuff on the TV that has sexual content on it, switch it off. Detune those late night channels. Give the pin code to your wife, which is what we do in our house. And if you're a lady, and as you watch romantic movies, and, and you find yourself becoming discontented with your husband, because as you start wishing, you wish that you know, as you, as you start watching, you wish, well, I wish my husband was more like that romantic hero on the uh, TV. And in turn, we begin to wish that, yeah, I wish my husband was more like the guy at work or the guy at church. Maybe not so much for sexual reasons, but for other reasons. Their humor, their their intellect, their abilities, or their their caring and, and, and loving behavior. That's just as much leading to adultery in our hearts. And if that's you, then can I suggest that for the sake of the purity of your heart, your relationship with Jesus, and for the sake of your marriage, that you stop watching romantic movies. Now, there's nothing wrong with romantic movies. That's not what I'm saying. If you enjoy those, good luck to you. That's fine as long as we're careful and aware of what might be happening in our hearts as we watch them. There's nothing wrong with romantic movies, I am not saying that, or romantic books. What I am saying is, is particularly if you're a lady, as you watch those, it stirs up discontent and you see this perfect guy and your husband isn't there, and that begins to create discontent and you begin to wish that your husband was different or that your uh, husband was a different person, then that is adultery in our hearts. And that's what Jesus means when he says gouge out our eyes. He expects those of us who've been born again to take whatever action we need to in order to help us not sin. This is serious. This is serious. But why is sex such a big deal? People sometimes accuse Christians of being always going on about sexual sin uh, or being anti-sex or of only focusing on sexual sin. Well, Sexual sin causes all sorts of damage, physical, emotional, and spiritual, to all those who participate in it. Sexual sin really does wreck lives. But there's two other reasons that I want to briefly focus on this morning. The first is found in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 18 to 20, where Paul writes this, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits, or a woman commits, are outside their body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God? You are not your own, you are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. The Bible says that there's something uniquely defiling about sexual immorality in a way that makes it stand out from other sins. The Bible says that when... God created mankind as male and female, and then when they're brought together in marriage, they become one flesh. And that's symbolized by the act of having sex. They're spiritually joined together through that physical act until death brings an end to that marriage. And any sexual activity outside of that marriage, whether before marriage or with someone else during their marriage, is sinful, by the Bible's definition, it's what the Bible calls sexual immorality. It's a catch-all phrase, it means sex before marriage or sex during marriage with someone other than our husband or wife. Now sex, don't get me wrong, is a wonderful gift from God. Christians, the Bible is not anti-sex. Quite the opposite. It's a wonderful, wonderful gift from God and it's intended to take place within a marriage. In fact, it's the celebration of the marriage. The Bible teaches that when a man and a woman have sex, they they forge, they're acting out this bodily and spiritual union. Like baptism, like communion, it's a physical act, but it's also deeply spiritual. Sex is never just sex, despite what our culture would try and tell us. It doesn't matter how the participants view what they're doing. God sees what they're doing and he views their actions, he views our actions from his perspective. And when we give our lives to Jesus, our body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit. God supernaturally comes to live within a Christian by the power of his Holy Spirit when we're born again, when we trust in him. So when a believer defiles his or her body, which uniquely happens through sexual immorality, it would seem that the Holy Spirit takes special offense. Now, this doesn't mean that non-Christians who, of course, don't have the Holy Spirit living in them, are freer to participate in sexual immorality. Not at all. But it does mean that the believer should have an even higher standard than the non-believer. Because Paul says we're no longer free to live as we wish. We've been bought at a price. The price was Jesus' death. We thought about this morning, the, the bread and the wine. The price was Jesus' body. It was his death on the cross. That was the price to make us holy. And therefore, in response to that price being paid, we need to live holy lives. We're not our own. We need to honor God with our bodies. For the Holy Spirit to come and live within me and within you, if you've trusted in Jesus, it cost the death of the Lord Jesus. And so I need to honor God with my body. You need to honor God with your body in response to what he's done for me. But there's a second reason. The concept of a man and a woman becoming one flesh doesn't just exist at a human level. Right the way throughout the Bible, the example of a husband and a wife in sexual union is used to speak of higher things. It's used to speak of the love relationship between God and his people, between Jesus and and the church and this is one of the reasons why gender matters gender isn't uh, some kind of social construct a clear distinction was made by God right back in the beginning by the God who made us all gender is not a social construct it's not a matter of how a person feels gender is given to us by God God created mankind as male and female men and women are not the same but they are designed to be sexually complementary. And the deepest reason for this is to teach us the deeply passionate nature of God's love for us. God made us as sexual beings, as men and women who have a desire for union, precisely to tell the story of his love for us. In the biblical view, the fulfillment of love between the sexes is, quite, is, is, is that great foreshadowing of something quite literally out of this world of the infinite bliss that awaits us in heaven. And in the Bible, God deliberately takes and uses sexual language that he knows will communicate to us effectively as sexual beings, and he does that to demonstrate the full extent of his love for us. If you read right the way throughout the Bible, when God talks about his relationship with the nation of Israel, it is full of sexual imagery. God is using that to demonstrate to us. He understands that we understand that imagery. And the physical and the spiritual unity that takes place between a husband and a wife as they have sex is a picture of the eternal unity that exists between God and those who have given their lives to him. The Bible starts with a marriage in Genesis, and it ends in Revelation with the great marriage supper of Christ and the church. The Bible starts with marriage, and it ends with marriage. Human marriage is a picture that's used to describe and demonstrate the great relationship between Jesus and those that have trusted in him throughout history, what we call the church. And so using marriage imagery, the Bible refers to Jesus as the bridegroom who loved his bride. And the Bible culminates with what the Bible calls the marriage supper. And then God's people live with God for all eternity in perfect unity, just as a human marriage... Just as in a human marriage, a married couple are intended to do. Sexual sin is a denial of that pattern and symbolism that God created in human marriage. That was to speak of himself and his people. And so if we're to please God, we need to learn to live in a way that controls our body. That is honoring to God. Because every time we're engaged in sexual activity, we are speaking of, we're mirroring something so much bigger than us. We're mirroring this great love story between God and his people. You know, God, it might seem a bit crazy and a bit, oh, this is, you know, why would God use that kind of language? I'm I'm, I'm uncomfortable with this. What God wants us to see through the, the beauty of human marriage is the beauty of his love for us. That God loves you with a passion. Jesus died for you on the cross to save you from your sins. And he wants you to be like a bride. And all the people together are are this picture of this bride that Jesus has bought for himself. To live together for, for eternity. It's a beautiful picture right the way throughout the Bible. And if we're to please God, then we need to learn to control our body. Not just externally, but internally. Right in our hearts. So that our hearts are pure. So that we're reflecting that holiness to God. And that we're living in a way that's honorable, not in uncontrolled lust. This morning, if you're aware that you're a sinner and you've never trusted in the Lord Jesus as your Savior, then can I ask you, can I encourage you to come this morning to Jesus and ask him to do that work deep in your heart that you can never do, that I can't do, that no one else can do. You can never cut deep enough to deal with the problem of sin. You need Jesus to come, forgive you, give you a new heart, a new life. And if you've never done that, then this morning would be a great opportunity, a great time for you to do that. And if that's something that you might like to know more about, then would be delighted to chat with you more about that afterwards and explain what that means and looks like in life for you. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning and you're not married, but you're engaging in sexual activity with someone, then put an end to it today. Turn away from that right here and right now. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're involved in adultery, then put an end to that today. Do not leave this building this morning. Without putting that right, if you're interacting with a member of the opposite sex in an inappropriate way by flirting or confiding in them in in an unhealthy way, then back off and, and put some barriers in place. If there's a member of the opposite sex that you're attracted to and you're struggling to handle your thoughts and your emotions, tell somebody else that can hold you accountable for your behavior. That's part of what church is about, a community where we can help each other. We're not here to point the finger and judge other people. We're, here to, we're all just broken people trying to help each other live for Jesus. Isn't that what it's about? That's why I'm honest with Keith and I tell him, this is something I struggle with, will you help me with this? Let's help each other live pure lives for Jesus. And if you need to take extreme measures, which might mean removing yourself from that person, reducing the amount of contact you have with them, so that you make sure you're not feeding the sin in your life by interacting with them. And if you struggle with pornography, then get some accountability software. Don't put it off. Do it today. Don't say, yeah, I'm going to do it next week. Yeah, I'll get around to it. Do it today. Deal with that issue this morning. Let's just have a few moments of quiet to reflect on what the Holy Spirit is saying to each one of us this morning. Serious stuff, serious issues, difficult to talk about, difficult to listen to but it's God's word. So let's just pause and hear what God is saying to us this morning. going to pray and then the band are going to lead us in one more song, just purify my heart, let's just pray, Father we come to you this morning, we thank you for the wonderful beautiful pictures right throughout the Bible of your love to us, we thank you Lord Jesus that you loved us with a passion, you bought us by laying down your own life, you've made us clean, that perfect pure bride and we thank you for that. Help us, Lord, we pray, to honor you with our bodies, that we might have pure hearts. Help us to take whatever steps are necessary to live lives that are honoring to you and holy. Purify our hearts, we pray. Father, we, we acknowledge that ultimately the only way our hearts can be truly pure is by your spirit coming and doing a whole new work in us and bringing us new new life from above. And so I pray this morning, Father, that If there's anyone here who doesn't know you as their saviour, this morning will be that that time when they give their life to you. So purify us at whatever level we need your purity this morning. Help us, we pray. Help us live for you and honour and serve you in all that we do.